Hey, science nerds, welcome to Beyond the Abstract, a podcast where we talk about the coolest, cutting edge, basic science research papers in a way that just about anyone can understand. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 11 of Beyond the Abstract. Just another week in quarantine. We would say we have a lot of life updates, but I'm not sure if that's true. Hey, Ellen, I actually heard that you got coronavirus. Oh, yeah. Just just some casual news. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, how else would you describe your lack of taste? (laughs) Gotcha. Wow, did not see that one coming. Have we been here for like three weeks, three years? Like, who can really say? I've just lost, like, any semblance of time, essentially. Time is a societal construct. Doesn't mean anything anymore. I feel like, does Saturday come and you're like, oh my god, thank god it's the weekend, even though you just, like, haven't done a single thing the entire week? Yeah, finally a rest from what I've been doing every single day. Same. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. (laughs) I put on jeans for the first time like this past week and trying to fit like my quarantine body into skinny jeans is like honestly truly an emotional physical mental hurdle spiritual spiritual hurdle I really just wasn't (laughs) expecting to have to overcome I do feel like I'm a stronger person now though so I don't know at least I have that to thank the pandemic for. I can't believe you overcame that hurdle because I I truly haven't attempted in weeks <laughs> so I'll use you as an emotional support for the first time I put on real pants. Yeah yeah I mean I'm, I'm here for you that's what good friends are for. Thank you. The only emotional support I have at this time is carbs essentially. So that really puts us in conflict with the whole real pants thing but. These are truly unprecedented times for two reasons actually my roommate and I are both making separate loaves of bread right now (laughs) but also it's like unprecedented in i managed to not leave the house for six days straight oh my god i i literally have a home alarm and like i feel like my roommate was like uh the alarm hasn't been disabled for six days are you guys alive your alarm company contacts you and is like you okay (laughs) you good bro (laughs) yeah You can tell it's been six days because after I left, after I put my pants on and left, um, I found myself meowing to the song Red by Taylor Swift down the street because that's something I kind of like routinely do at home. But, you know, I know not to do it in public, but it's just, you know, in these times. (laughs) All boundaries are diminished. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Also, if you're wearing a mask, who knows where the meows are coming from? It's so true. It could just be a really rhythmic, pop culture loving cat. Cat, yeah. (laughs) Also, when you have like a bread to human ratio of one to one, I don't think you need to leave the house for any reason. (laughs) That's so true. It's the perfect ratio. Yeah, the golden golden ratio. ratio. (laughs) It's the ratio they they want at college parties, actually. That's, (laughs) That's my frat house. Yo, yo, where the where the loaves? <laughs> where the loaves? Roll up with your <laughs> two loaves of bread, one in each hand. Like, yo, I, I got I got two loaves. <laughs> what have you been up to? How much trash TV have you consumed this week, Ellen? Oh my god, you guys, so much. Give us the highlights. 
Real Housewives of New York is premiering a new season and it's truly incredible. And I just love it because I put it on. I'm like, oh, I'm hanging out with my friends, you know, the five Real Housewives of New York. And the good thing about quarantine is that I can have sort of a multimedia experience where I watch the show and then, of course, I have to listen to the podcast that recap the episodes and then I have to be a part of the Facebook group that recaps and then I follow the Instagram account. So it's really a multi-pronged approach to reality TV. Yeah, I think it's just in these times, it's really important to stimulate yourselves in a lot of different ways. As someone who's just like really intellectually curious, it's really good to keep my mind active. Well, I'm just glad that we're not the only ones building a multimedia empire during this pandemic. We are multimedia giants, but they stand hand in hand with us. All right, enough horsing around. (laughs) So this week we have a third Corona paper, Miss Rona's on a roll. It's actually a really interesting paper and partly explains, I think, why some people who don't have chronic conditions still get really severe disease while others don't. The name of the paper this week is Complex Immune Dysregulation in COVID-19 Patients with Severe Respiratory Failure. And it was published in Cell Host and Microbe in April 2020 by the, okay, I'm gonna fucking butcher this. All right, Ellen, you say it. I can barely speak English. Okay. Giamorellos Borbolis. Oh, nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah, they're at the National... Capodistrian. Capodistrian University of Athens. I, I was sounding it out in my uh, head. There are a lot of syllables in there, so it's hard to really get it all out at once. This paper discusses the complex immune response to coronavirus and kind of starts to dive into why some patients get such severe disease that they go into severe respiratory failure while others do not. So there's a couple things we want to go over before we really dive into the paper. You have probably heard on the media this thing called ARDS, which stands for Acute Respiratory Distress Syndrome. And this can lead to severe respiratory failure as a result of COVID-19. Acute Respiratory Distress Syndrome refers to diffuse lung damage and inflammation that occurs over a very short period of time because there's a lot of different causes of lung damage. But this specifically occurs over a short period of time. It has many, many causes, but one of them is viral infection, such as by the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Usually, if you get acute respiratory distress syndrome, you have to be intubated and ventilated. But even with this really severe intervention, once you develop acute respiratory distress syndrome, you have a much higher risk of dying. And another similar clinical consequence of COVID that they talk about in the paper is called severe respiratory failure. It's often abbreviated to SRF. And as you would guess from the name, this means that your respiratory system fails, meaning that you can no longer perform the normal function of your lung, which is to oxygenate your blood. Oftentimes, people with SRF have to go on to ECMO, the medical intervention we actually talked about, I think, a couple episodes ago. Again, there's many different causes of SRF, but one possible cause is viral infections such as COVID. As I'm sure you all know, COVID-19 is the disease caused by the SARS-CoV-2 virus, and it has a very characteristic clinical course that's actually pretty distinct from other viral pneumonias or from other lung infections such as bacterial pneumonia. Typically, a lot of clinicians have been reporting that after seven to 
eight days after initial symptoms, the patients develop a really rapid clinical deterioration. Sometimes you'll hear doctors refer to this as crashing. This is actually very characteristic of COVID-19. This doesn't really happen with many other viral pneumonias. Usually it's more of a gradual decompensation, rather a really rapid clinical deterioration over, say, like 12 to 24 hours. I've read a lot of stories on social media and different journals and stuff of patients coming in to the emergency room, essentially stable and fine, but just 24 hours, they're already intubated, which is a really crazy thought. And that's one of the reasons that COVID was so scary when it was first showing up in clinics is because this is a clinical course that is not very similar to other lung infections that you would think of, like pneumonia, as we said. And that makes it more difficult to manage because usually you can tell which patients are sort of going down more quickly. And then, like you said, with COVID, it can sort of be an immediate switch where, where relatively healthy patients can sort of crash. And just to call back from a previous episode, when we were talking about how these symptoms can often come up seven to eight days after the initial presentation, that sort of makes sense with what we were talking about, about the immune response to COVID. If you guys remember from last episodes about making antibodies against COVID, it often takes your immune system about a week to develop a response to the virus. And so a lot of people think that the symptoms are due to the immune system because it follows the same time course as an antibody response against the virus. There's this question of why some people start crashing really quickly after arriving at the hospital while other people don't. And I think what immunologists and doctors have started figuring out, well, they've known this for quite a while because it's the case with other viruses, is the answer might lie in actually our immune response. And this includes things like inflammation and cytokines and different types of immune cells. Yeah, and we've talked about inflammation before. And inflammation can be a good thing because this is the signal to your body to sort of fight off a foreign invasion, like a foreign infection, such as bacteria or viruses. But over activation of the immune system and too much inflammation is a bad thing and can be very damaging to the tissues in your body. So immune cells and tissue, they communicate by secreting these things called cytokines. This allows them to talk to each other and for the tissue to say, hey, come over here and do this specific thing because I'm damaged, or for immune cells to signal each other, be like, hey, I need more help, come over here and help me fight this infection or repair this tissue in some way. And there are actually a lot of different types of immune cells in your body. Each of them have specific functions. For example, there's these cells called natural killer cells and T cells, which typically kill virally infected cells. Neutrophils are another type of white blood cell that kill bacteria. And B cells are part of your immune system and they make antibodies. These are just some of the more general functions of these cells. They do a lot of other things too, but this is a lot of the functions that we associate them with. So when we get certain infections, we can actually expect an immune response. When we get a virus, we can expect more natural killer cells and T cells because those are the ones responsible in fighting viruses. When we have some sort of bacterial infection, we can maybe expect more neutrophils because those are the ones that are killing bacteria. And of course, after a certain period, we can expect our B cells to start making antibodies in response to some sort of infection. Yeah, and again, these immune cells are necessary to fight off infection, 
But a lot of times, if the immune response is too strong or not doing its job properly, it will cause sort of more damage than good. And one common example we think of is in viral hepatitis, where virally infected cells are not doing that much damage to the liver, but then the T cells come in and kill a bunch of these infected cells, and that's when you get hepatitis. The question that this group wanted to tackle again was, why do some patients have severe disease after contracting coronavirus while other patients don't? And can this be explained by differences in our immune system response? So again, we know some things do put you at risk for more severe disease, such as chronic conditions and age, but some seemingly healthy people also get severe disease, and we don't really know why. We're just going to dive into the paper and talk about some of the experiments they did What's really cool about this paper is they were able to take a basic science approach to clinical data, actually. A lot of their samples are from patients that have COVID-19 or other types of lung infections. Essentially, what they did was they compared patients with and without severe respiratory failure in different types of lung infections, such as bacterial pneumonia and COVID-19. And what they wanted to look at specifically is if they had this hyperinflammatory response. This is what we can essentially describe as a total body immune freakout, where the immune cells are secreting cytokines, resulting in something called a cytokine storm. And this is a life-threatening condition. This is usually determined by different lab values and measuring the amount of cytokines in your blood. And what they noticed was that patients with severe respiratory failure and COVID-19 all had this hyperinflammatory response, whereas patients with bacterial pneumonia and respiratory failure did not. This suggests that there's something really specific going on in these COVID-19 patients that might be causing hyperinflammation and respiratory failure that isn't really necessarily going on in all these bacterial pneumonia patients that have respiratory failure. And as we've discussed, more inflammation is not always better. You need some amount of inflammation to fight off the virus, but you don't want too much to cause damage. And another thing that can happen when your immune system is really ramped up is that it actually doesn't function properly. It's like too hyped up and doesn't know how to do its job anymore. The next question they wanted to look at is to see if the immune system of severe COVID patients were actually functioning properly. And what they found is a phenomenon called immunoparalysis, which is kind of what it sounds like, where your immune system is paralyzed, not able to fight off the infection that it's trying to target. So they did find that severe COVID-19 patients were immunoparalyzed, meaning that their immune cells were failing to mount the appropriate response to the infection. And this was in comparison to either mild COVID patients or healthy patients. So they looked at T cells and natural killer cells. These are the cell populations you expect to be highly active in a viral infection. And they found that severe COVID patients actually had fewer of these natural killer and T cells. They also looked at B cells, which are necessary to create antibodies against the virus. And again, these very severe patients had fewer B cells. Another part of the immune system that they looked at were IgM antibodies. And this is a specific subtype of antibodies. And these are really important for an early response of your body against the virus. So it's a really important like early checkpoint of your immune system to make sure that your immune system is responding properly to the virus. And when they looked at these severe patients compared to either mild or healthy patients, they found that these severe patients actually had lower levels of IgM antibodies. 
Yeah, and this makes sense, right? We expect that your natural killer cells and your T cells to be higher, and they're not. We expect your B cells to be making antibodies, and they're not. So something is really, really wrong with the immune system right now. All of this data is pointing towards a picture where the severe COVID patients have a lot of inflammation, but their immune system actually isn't doing its sole purpose very well at all. So they want to look at what exactly was happening with these immune cells that was causing them to become immunoparalyzed and hyperinflamed. They looked at a bunch of different cytokines, and one that they found specifically that was increased was this one called IL-6. And they were actually able to test this more specifically by taking immune cells from severe COVID-19 patients aggravated them by adding this chemical, and then measured their cytokine production. And they produced IL-6 for a much longer period of time than what was considered normal. And essentially, what we know from prior research to IL-6 is that it's actually a major driver of immune paralysis. There's been some anecdotes that this one drug called tocilizumab, which is an IL-6 blocking drug, has been helpful in patients who are undergoing severe respiratory failure. Of course, it's not a cure-all, but there's some stories that it's been helping patients have better outcomes. So they decided to actually treat six patients with severe respiratory failure and COVID-19 with tocilizumab and see how their immune system responded. And after receiving this drug, they essentially restored the immune cells to the levels that they expected, suggesting that this drug could actually specifically treat immune paralysis. This is like a really cool concept just because we're not necessarily treating the virus itself, but treating how our body responds to it and helping that process. Yeah, it's sort of giving a boost to your immune cells so that they can do their job properly rather than this sort of paralysis and freak out that's happening in severe patients. The take-home of all of this is that COVID-19 causes immune dysregulation in two ways. The first way is through this hyper-inflammatory response where your body totally freaks out and crashes. And then second, it inhibits the body's immune response to viruses by depleting natural killer cells, T cells, B cells, and then your antibodies by producing IL-6, this cytokine that's causing the immune paralysis. And we find that by blocking the IL-6, we're able to essentially restore the immune system to a more normal level. Yeah, and the findings of this paper are really important because we have these clinical observations and clinical anecdotes that there's immune dysregulation happening in the severe patients, but to actually understand sort of the biological processes that are happening are necessary in order to target the immune pathology that's happening. As you guys know, we always point to some of the shortcomings and outstanding questions left by a paper. Science is a very stepwise process. There's almost never a paper that's like, hey, this is the answer. This is how we have to treat everything. There's just a lot of things and a lot of really specific trials that have to be taken into consideration before we make a recommendation that something actually be used as treatment. So blocking IL-6 with this drug, tocilizumab, is likely not a cure-all for severe COVID-19. Currently, literature suggests that it can help, but it's by no means any guarantee that these patients are going to do well after they get this drug. IL-6 is 
one tiny aspect of this disease. Our best bet right now is still social distancing and the hope that we can create some sort of vaccine. But what this does start to do is answer the question, why do some people do well and why do some people not do well after they get COVID-19? This could be related to IL-6 production. Maybe a future study would be looking at the amount of IL-6 in specific patients with severe respiratory failure and then specifically treating those patients with tocilizumab to see if they have better outcomes. Why do some people make more IL-6 than others? Our immune systems are really unique and they're determined by a combination of genetics and the environment. And this essentially dictates how we respond to infections. So we don't really know what these specific, distinct, unique signatures that make our reactions different are yet. That's something else that I think a lot of immunologists are currently looking at. Yeah, and just to bring it back to supporting basic science, a major goal of certain fields of immunology is understanding why two people who are infected with the same virus who seem similar on many different like clinical components can respond so differently. And something really cool that's already happening at a lot of different research centers is figuring out this question and the answer could actually lie in the blood of people who have already been infected. Looking at that response, seeing why did you have a really good response to the virus while you didn't? Essentially, by looking at the different antibodies made by these patients, we could actually begin to dissect and figure out the differences in the response. Of course, there's still a ton of work to be done related to COVID-19. SARS-CoV-2 is known to infect a lot of different organs besides the lungs. It's known to infect the heart. This can result in cardiac arrest. It can infect the kidneys. This can result in kidney dysfunction and a lot of other organs as well. So there's still a lot of work that needs to be done related to this. This time, it is a really unique time for research and clinical response. We've seen sometimes how a study like this can kind of be misinterpreted by the media by saying something like, oh, IL-6 is the cure-all for coronavirus. So I think it's just really important for scientists and clinicians to really work on communicating with the public about different clinical findings and research findings so that this kind of misinformation isn't damaging to the public. It's always important to get your medical information from a licensed medical doctor. You know, there's a lot of theories out there right now. There is a lot of hubbub about hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. There's actually been recommendations by the NIH now that these are not effective treatments and that they're actually probably dangerous because of some of the severe cardiac side effects that they can have. Something we are willing to say is do not inject cleaner into yourself. <laughs> And do not swallow a UV light thinking that it's going to kill the virus, because it's not. Two years of med school have taught us that we can be fully confident in that. Please don't stick a UV bulb down your esophagus. But again, even this podcast, do not take this as medical advice. You should always, always be <laughs> consulting your doctor in issues regarding to your health. And not our president. Can affirm that recommendation. <laughs> This wraps up our 11th episode. We hope you guys are enjoying our series on coronavirus. Uh, we just want to make sure that you guys can kind of stay up to date on this type of research that's going on. This is 
honestly a lot of the basis for a lot of the stories that you're seeing in the media so it's important to know the promise that it can hold but also a lot of the drawbacks in that we really need to be doing these studies carefully before we can make any conclusions about how we're going to be treating almost a million patients now that have been infected with Mm COVID-19. Definitely. So thanks for listening. Thank you.